This is Tasting Together. Toronto's News, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Hello, hello everyone and welcome to Tasting Together on 640 Toronto. It's me, Maroki Tong, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andre Pru. Hello. And uh, we're here to always chat with you about what's good to eat and drink around the GTA and... We're going to talk a little bit more about it coming up in our next segment, but Winterlicious is here. It's exciting. Yes, I'm personally very excited. Um, I've attended Winterlicious and Summerlicious probably for as long as I've known it in Toronto and when I can afford it um, back in the day when I was a starving artist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's that's the thing about Winterlicious, though, is when you are a starving artist, that's the way I got my foot into a lot of restaurants I couldn't otherwise afford. Yes. And it's really cool to find the places who dress to impress. Like, I, it's just something kind of magical about the city. And I don't know about, about you. I know we're going to get into it in the next segment a little bit more. But it's just like, it feels like there's this energy coming from the restaurants this year that is palpable. Like, you can feel it coming from the website when you take a look at some of the menus for this year. I think people want to pull out all their stops after a couple of years and everyone wants to show what we have to offer, especially, you know, on the back end of the Michelin Guide too. Maybe the maybe some people are like, I'm ready to show what we're capable of too, GTA. We don't have to necessarily be in some guide to be an awesome place to eat. I but, am very you know, on board with that, but I think I've made everybody known how I feel about the somewhat overrated Toronto Michelin Guide. Yes, yes, yes. But you brought up another interesting point to me, Andre, that maybe I've never thought of before um, because I try and, you know, I try and consider myself to be a good customer, I yes. guess, so to say, um, in the sense that I try not to be difficult. I try and treat everyone with respect. But, you know, this is something that I've noticed and maybe it's always been an issue in the industry and we've only ever spoken about it now. But I remember a uh, couple of years ago maybe about a year and a half ago there was a toronto star article that was written about father's day and father's day reservations and a restaurant had over a hundred reservations for father's day and then had i think like almost 30 of them over 30 of them like just not show up yeah on the day yeah and that's terrible you know it's it's something i've always been a little bit shocked about but I know we've mentioned on the show before, my wife works in hospitality. She's a pastry chef and I'm friends with a lot of good chefs who work at different restaurants in the city. Uh, I'm going to fill you in on a secret. If you're someone who walks into a restaurant, like you think you own the place, trust me, people at the restaurants talk about you after you've left the restaurant. If you were a crappy customer, Um, I know we're going to unpack that a little bit, but just like whole idea of the sense of entitlement that certain people feel when they set foot in that hospitality setting. I understand when you're going into a restaurant or you're going into a nice hotel or you're going into somewhere where you've scrimped and saved and you're looking for that great experience, you want to be served. And trust me, when people get into this industry, it's because they enjoy that aspect of serving people. But at the same time, you have to remember these people are people. They're people who care a lot yes. about what they do. You know, you and I are very fortunate that we get invited to a lot of events where people invite us to taste their wines or taste their food and have a chance to do that um, at no charge to us. We're we're media, like that's just sort of part of what our job is, is going to keep our fingers on the pulse of what's new and exciting. But it still blows my mind when you and I will go to a, a wine tasting and you and I have both done some organizing and event planning outside of this, not to the scale of running a restaurant, 
but it takes a lot of work to curate a list, send out invites, plan a menu, you know, plan to have people there. The number of people who RSVP to events and just don't show is mind-blowing. And I know at some of these free tastings we go to, it can be as much as 50, 60% of people that don't show up. Yes, and... In some ways, I feel more pressure now that I have the privilege of being invited as media because in some ways, you're part of the industry now and they see your face. You're not an unknown, you know, sometimes as a customer, not to say that it's okay, but as a customer, you're a little bit of a lesser known entity. You know, they might Mm -hmm. not remember your face after that night that they serve you. So if you're a little bit difficult, it's okay. (laughs) You might be forgotten, but in, you know, when I participating as media makes me feel like oh no you know my name it's written it's down in the cards and it may impact very much impact my future if i you know am difficult which has you know sometimes i've led to the opposite effect where maybe i've let bad behavior slide because i just don't want to be the subject of gossip afterwards or you don't <laughs> want to be seen as a difficult person now that's a whole different conversation to yeah. be had but with regards to being you know I, I think it's almost like you almost have to treat going to a restaurant as being a guest in someone's house in some ways, right? If you're going to someone's going to someone's house, like it's not considered polite if you cancel on your friends at, at the, the last, very minute, last minute. At the last minute, yeah. I mean, there's sort of the 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 asterisk there. So I know this is sort of thing where I think this is just a topic that keeps coming up over and over again about how hospitality is broken. Uh, you know, the tipping conversation is sort of talk radio 101. I'm sure on this very radio station, if we take a look at the show lineups, people have talked about tipping ad nauseum for for many times over the past few years. And uh, yeah, by the way, if you're going out to eat, you need to tip uh, 18% now. And I'm sorry if that's not in your budget. You're, you're, you're kind of a crappy customer. Uh, sir, if that's a controversial take. Um, but I mean, I'm not into presenting problems without solutions. So one thing you and I were sort of kicking around um, when we were planning this segment there, is it time for restaurants to start taking a deposit or charging you for the full meal? If you make a reservation, don't show, drop your credit card and, and, and do it just like you're buying a concert ticket or a movie ticket or something. I'm not completely opposed to the idea. I think perhaps for someone like myself who enjoys picking and choosing the menu once I arrive sometimes. I, and I mean, I'll, I'll fully admit I'm the person that does look at the menu advance and online <laughs> so I can have an idea of what things are going to look like. But I don't want to lose the entire a la carte experience. But one of the things I know is like, um, I know Pearl Diver in Toronto does this. And I think a couple of other restaurants as does this as well is that they will take your credit card information. So if you don't show up, they will charge you a no-show fee. Right on. Now, it's pretty nominal. Like, it's not a lot, but it's you know, it just incentivizes you to hold a spot. So the idea of placing a deposit down, I'm not against, you know, as you mentioned, we do this for so many other services already, whether it is for movies or booking an appointment somewhere, taking a yoga class, a dance class, or, you know, we should also be able to, you know, we should be willing to accept a penalty for a service that we don't show up for, right? Like, I know when I used to not show up for piano lessons um, as a teenager, that didn't mean they didn't get, they didn't charge me for my piano lessons. Or if you miss a yoga class that you pre-sign up for, they will charge you for that class or for your dentist, right like dent, you know if you sh- if you don't show up for your dental appointment i'm pretty sure they still bill you too if you don't if you cancel less than 24 hours in advance so why should this not be applicable to other industries as well you know i think this is one of those things where the hospitality industry is still 
broken in terms of how people are paid and trying to find a way to fix it is not going to be an easy thing because there is that norm that exists, right? Like that level of service people come to expect. But, you know, as I mentioned, I just, I think there's sort of a sense of entitlement as diners that when we go to a restaurant, we expect to do that, that we expect to be able to make a reservation. And if we don't show, oh, no big deal. But it's exactly like you said, um, if you start to get into that mindset of going to someone's house, even if that someone is going to be waiting on you hand and foot, as we expect in certain restaurants, it's just like when you're running a restaurant, you have to worry about food costs. You have to worry about managing your inventory you have to ma- make sure that you've got staffing. If you have a hundred people on the books and you're, you're counting on that for a busy Friday or Saturday or weekend brunch, you're going to staff up accordingly. And if 30% of your reservations don't show up, you're going to end up with a fridge full of food. That's going to go bad. And you're probably going to mm-hmm. send an employer to home without getting paid. So, yeah, I think it always boils down to is being willing to treat each other with respect and being able to not do not discard your social graces when you go away from home. That being said, if you're going to make a reservation, you should stick to it. And if you're looking for a reason to make a reservation, Winterlicious is back. And I don't think there is anyone in the city that's more excited than my co-host Maroki. I am super excited. And after the break, we're going to share with you some of our favorite spots in Toronto and why Winterlicious is an awesome thing to partake in if you are a foodie. So stick around. We're tasting together on 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. I'm your host, Andre Pru. I'm joined by Maroki Tong, and we are going to waste no time and dive right into Winterlicious because I just want to hear how excited, Maroki, you are about where you're going to eat and what's going on in the city. I may have already pulled up this Winterlicious website so that I could look at it in map mode and then look at all the restaurants in alphabetical mode and then <laughs> pull up their Winterlicious menus and then cross compare them to the website to see if there's anything unique that they don't have on their regular menu. Going in like full scientific, but I mean, how are you going to choose? There are 220 restaurants uh, participating this year. I know. It's actually really difficult. And in I know the last time I participated in Winterlicious, which I believe was in 2020 before the world shut down, I decided that particular year um, to look within my own neighborhood. So I guess I always pick sort of a theme. <laughs> I'm always like, this year, will I do lunch or, or will I do dinner? Will I do one lunch and one dinner? Um, and I pick a neighborhood or I maybe think of a cuisine that I've not explored in a little while. So you know, different cravings at the time or different um, mandates I set for myself. And in 2020, I decided to look in my own neighborhood. That's actually when I discovered Aviv. And Aviv Immigrant Kitchen is a pretty new restaurant and they at the time. And I got to discover them through Winterlicious. And since then, I've gone back again and again. So it's always an amazing opportunity to visit new people. And I actually had a chance to talk with Robert, who is the owner of Aviv, to get a small taste of what is up for Winterlicious this year. I'm uh, going to uh, expect uh, great food, uh, fresh, um, market fresh with uh, great service, uh, great value. Oh, the fresh clams for appetizer would be awesome. And also the beef tenderloin uh, for the main course would be awesome as well. Uh, it's, it's, we, we, we do our uh, buying every day. We do our shopping every day. And everything's market fresh. And uh, 
it's uh it's from pretty much uh, almost like farm to table i actually didn't know that they bought market fresh every day so that's a pretty cool tidbit for Definitely. me to know aviv uh is located in midtown so that's around the st Clair west neighborhood and if that's a little bit out of the way for you robert gives you some pretty good reasons why you should go check them out well coming to midtown it's a great area it's a great community uh, you will be surprised by how what the, uh, the vibrant community St. Clair Avenue is. Uh, also, when you come to a restaurant, it's a, it's a brand new restaurant. It's, uh, it's only about two, three years old. You will uh, be welcome. You'll feel like you're at home. Uh, and, and the food will be uh, fresh. Uh, I made to order uh, all, all in-house made from scratch uh, recipes. You know, I love that idea of using Winterlicious to be a tourist in your own town. Like, sometimes we forget how big the city can be and it's the thing i love about the layout of the winterlicious website is you can really kind of geographically try to pick where you might want to go and um i mean as someone who loves to eat and travel finding those destinations is is just like i don't know it's a bit of a trip to remember we can be tourists in our own town yeah yeah no exactly and you know robert also gives some really specific reasons why we should be excited for this winterlicious especially Oh, what delicious is going to bring people back out again? Hopefully, uh, hopefully people can get together again. I know we've been absent for the last two or three years here. So uh, I hope uh, people brings a lot of uh, the community back out again to, uh, to dine. Well, it's definitely bringing me back out. And I'm pretty sure that clams was not on their menu last time. <laughs> yeah, their menu seems to change quite often, doesn't it? Oh, uh, that's what happens when you're market fresh, right? <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I loved your story about how you became a regular at Aviv because of one of the licious The same thing sort of happened to me. I know the restaurant has gone through a couple of iterations, but uh, I remember discovering the Prohibition Gastropub, which is now called Prohibition Social House. And I mean, it was one of those things where I'm generally not a person who scours the menu before I go out. Like I love going to restaurants based on recommendations from family and friends. Um, and then just being surprised when I go there. But I mean, Winterlicious is one of those things where it really is fun when you're looking for a place that might be outside of your regular bailiwick and regular like watering hole to find a really interesting menu. And a lot of these people really execute a lot at a reasonable price, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the great thing about Winterlicious too is that there are different price points. Yes. Right. Like I, I do believe that they have gone up in prices for some of the restaurants. There used to be about three price points for dinner, usually like 25, 35, 45. And I think that's kind of changed to 55. I think this year there's even five options. It goes up to $75 for dinner. But the nice thing about the website is that you do have the opportunity to sort of filter out the cuisines in the neighborhood and the price points so that you can kind of find something that is wetting your appetite as well. The thing is, even though the prices have gone up to $75, I, I know you and I, we, I think a lot of people have gathered at this point from listening to us for a little while now that while we both don't mind spending money on quality, frugality is definitely something that's important to both of us because radio does not pay the bills, does not make a lot of money for us. We do it because we love it. Um, but I do love looking at the $75 menus because a lot of these restaurants you would usually end up spending a lot more to eat there oh, if yes. Alicious wasn't taking place. So one menu that caught my interest was 360, the restaurant at the CN Tower, because I think the CN Tower is one of those places where, unless you have family from out of town, you kind of ignore 
the giant hulking needle at the south of the city and you know may have written off a restaurant like that as sort of tourist fodder but like this is a restaurant that really does focus on the farm to table and as someone who loves ontario wine i know they're really good at supporting uh the local wine industry as well but um I went to Chef Angel Sevilla of the restaurant to ask him the same questions you asked uh, Robert at Aviv about why people should think about going to 360 during Winterlicious if maybe that's something they wouldn't normally go to. Well, we're really excited uh, at 360 Restaurant to once again be joining uh, this great annual culinary festival that celebrates Toronto's diverse culinary culture. You could expect you know, the, the finest sustainable and locally sourced ingredients and, and a spectacular view uh, at the same time. Among some of those dishes, the notable ones would be an heirloom carrot salad that's garnished with toasted pumpkin seeds or a Canadian duck wing that's topped with some Ontario honey, blue cheese and scallions. Uh, among the entrees, you, you have uh, some pretty good choices there. A uh, honey rub Canadian chicken supreme or a braised Ontario lamb shank, as well as a white bean and kale boletti, which is a vegetarian item for those dietary restrictions. To top it all off, you could choose between a sticky maple toffee pudding or a hazelnut and pear frangipan. So, you know, I think we're, we're going to really uh, knock some people uh, over with this menu, and I hope that they enjoy it. You know, it's one of those things where I've noticed duck wings starting to creep onto people's menus. I don't know why that really jumped out at me, but this is something I want to do some research on about whether or not duck wings are the next big trend in Toronto cuisine. Uh, But the few places I've had them, like that in itself, I think is a reason to go check out 360 apart from the rest of the menu he just listed off. Well, I've been meaning to do edge walk at some point. Uh, I do not know if they do it in the dead of winter, but if they do, maybe that is what I would do if I chose to go to 360 to bring me back to the CN Tower. I will re reignite my childish love for standing on the glass floor, <laughs> um, you know, get my adrenaline up by edge walking and then enjoy a nice dinner at 360 afterward. And I'm terrified of heights and will just patiently wait for you at the bar. well there you have it folks we have winterlicious 2023 with over 200 restaurants check out the website if uh, that is something that you're up to coming up this winter and you know what if you save a few bucks from ordering their prefixes you have more dollars to spend on their wine and speaking of wine we're going to be chatting a lot more about portuguese wines in our coming segment of tasting together and specifically chatting with the winemaker of porta six That's coming up after the break on Tasting Together. This is 640 Toronto. You're listening to Tasting Together. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. I'm your host, Andre Peru, and I am joined by my co-host, Maroki Tong. Yellow. And uh, we're about to, I guess, virtually take a trip to Portugal. I think when we were getting ready to do this interview, frankly, I was hoping that the weather would be a little bit colder, but we had a pretty mild January so far, haven't we? 
Well, apparently there's a polar vortex coming that's gonna oh, come God. with freezing rain and, no. and very, very cold. Yeah, apparently it's <sighs> minus 65 in Russia right now. And the vortex is going to break up, reform in the Arctic and come down. So you're going to get that cold weather, Andre. So the reason why we're talking to Portugal is uh, we've had a chance to connect with Mauro Azoya, who is a winemaker from Porta 6. Now, you and I both have a bit of an affection for Portuguese wine. I don't know if a lot of people follow us on social media, but I'm at Andre Wine Review. You're at 9 Ounces Please on Instagram. And for the past two years, we've been connecting monthly to talk about how to build a wine collection from scratch and doing it on a budget. And Mm -hmm. um, frankly, you and I have a bit of an affection and a soft spot for Portugal because I think for a lot of people, and I I know I call myself the resident snob on this show because I overlook Portugal. That's my mea culpa. Um, I usually look to spend a little bit more money. This past week, I found... Uh, wine from a producer in Bordeaux that I haven't seen on the shelf of the LCB before. And I was happy to drop the 50 bucks to buy it. But, I mean, for Christmas last year, you got me a beautiful bottle of Portuguese wine for $20 that is now sitting in my cellar. And I, I think it's just something a lot of people don't think about. Like when you're looking to buy a really premium or really choice bottle of wine, I think a lot of people still lead with their wallet. And, you know, I'm slapping myself on the wrist for that because as a writer, it's something I tell people that, you know, Chile, um, Portugal, Italy, like these are all the places that you need to go to get really great value for a fair price. And I think I'm the opposite of you. I've always loved Portugal for their amazing value. And that's why we're really excited to be partnered with Porta 6 for this segment of Tasting Together. Because if you want to taste sunshine right now, like if we're talking about taking that virtual trip to Portugal, their white is $12.95 at the LCBO. And it's only been on shelf since 2021, but it's already one of the top 12 selling Portuguese wines sold. And their red wine's only a dollar more. And I know you really, really like that one. So we're going to dive in further with Porta 6 uh, with the winemaker, Mara Azoya. And he's visiting Ontario this week. So thanks for joining us, Mauro. Thank you a lot, guys. Thank you for having me. And I heard a lot of your fantastic work. Right on. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. I guess diving right into this, I want to hit you with a, with a question for someone like me where, you know, even though I don't mind spending the money, I also look for something that's familiar when I'm looking for something new. So like when I go to the Californian section of the LCBO, I know I'm going to grab either a Zinfandel or a Cabernet Sauvignon or, you know, going to France, like I just said, I know that a place like Burgundy, you expect you know, lean and elegant Pinot Noir. If you're trying to describe Portuguese wine to someone, what would you tell them to expect in terms of what they were going to grab? Because they might not recognize the name of the grapes on the bottle because you guys work with a lot of funky, cool-sounding grapes that you don't see anywhere else in the world. But as far as flavor profile goes, how do you get me into, into Portuguese wine? What's the synonym there? What the people can expect for the Portuguese wines is that they, at this stage, they are very well made. They are very focused to the market. They, they think they, they are prepared to go to the market. There's not the other way around. And um, so the people can expect from the different regions, uh, different, uh, different aspects. But uh, in what matters to us in Porto Six, uh, Lisbon region, it's um, it's a region that are showing really, really good red blends, uh, fruit-driven, fresh, with great acidity and uh, uh, very enjoyable. I I love that you bring in indigenous grapes. Like I know, you know, 
mixing Chardonnay and Viognier, which I know is in your white blend, makes it more accessible to a market that isn't familiar with indigenous varieties. But I hope to see Portugal one of these days being recognized, you know, by the region. You're saying you're drinking Bordeaux or you're drinking Burgundy. Then here you can say, you know, you're drinking, you know, Dow or you're drinking Duro, um, as opposed to getting focused on, what, you know, the grapes themselves. Now, Mauro, you've had winemaking experience all over the world. I think you've gone to Australia, you've gone to New Zealand, you've made wine in the States and South Africa and France. And now it's, you know, you kind of gone full circle and come back to Portugal to make wine with Porta Six. What is different about making wine in Portugal than the rest of the world from your experience? You know, when we are traveling around as a junior winemaker, um, we learn a lot about all the process, all the different process, all the different terroirs, uh, all the different grape varieties and how they can show in, in that countries. But um, it arrived to, after three years of tra traveling, arrived to the time that I actually was missing something more. And to grow as a winemaker, uh, we need to establish. We need to know our, uh, our plants, how they develop in the terroir that we are. And we need time to do that. We need three to four uh, years to, to get there or even more to get to know the grape varieties and how, how they can show. So uh, it was the, the step from all the experience that was amazing traveling around, doing two vintages uh, in, one, in one year uh, for, for three years. Uh, stopping in Portugal, it was uh, the next level to, for my winemaking career. Uh, and, and sorry, uh, I want to I, I want to hop on just for a quick second because I know a lot of people in the car are not super wine savvy, but a lot of people don't really think about this that in the southern hemisphere, it's summer when it's our winter, and winter when it's our yes. summer. So if you're a crazy intrepid winemaker like yourself, Moro, you could literally spend the entire year making wine. So you can do a harvest in Portugal in our summer, the northern hemisphere summer, which will take place. I'm guessing from like. August to October, then get on a plane, go to Australia, and from like March till April, yes, yes. go harvest fruit down there and just do that back and forth. So you just like to work. Yes, it was, it was the best part. It was very, very funny. Now, I want to take a moment and do that armchair travel because, Mauro, the Porta Six labels, it features this beautiful, relaxed scene of Lisbon streets um, by a German artist, apparently, who's, who ended up settling there. So clearly he loved the region so much, he decided to stay and paint um, images of what Lisbon life is like. And I think the label speaks a lot to what the wine wants us to experience and feel. So, you know, to those folks who want to travel someday um, to Portugal or to Lisbon, what can they expect? Oh, they can expect a really good weather. So uh especially this uh, climate change the weather is fantastic in portugal they can visit a lot of uh, places uh and we have uh, we are uh, we have a lot of uh, places to go you can you have a lot of art uh, art street art galleries you have museums even uh, a street walking can be uh, amazing in lisbon with all the trams and all the people yelling at the windows to the neighbor. Um, and then we have all the restaurants and all the chefs that are coming upcoming now and uh, the, the new chefs and wine bars from uh, that are popping. Uh, and 
after all, you can get a crazy week for a very good value uh, of money, and you will not spend uh, in a. It will be a big trip and not spending too much. That is one of the things I loved about my visit to Portugal in in 2017 was. Um, I remember having a really nice lunch on the Douro River off the plane, completely jet lagged, and I went all out and I paid with my credit card. I'm just like, okay, this meal must have cost me like $60, $70. And when I checked my bill, it was only $30 or so. And I, I think talking about food and um, just how great Portuguese cuisine can be, uh, Toronto, obviously a little bit more international than just Portuguese, but you can get a good Portuguese meal in the city. What are your favorite food pairings to go with? I, I mean, just I'll make you pick just one because I know you're a winemaker and you're likely going to give us a general thing, but like your one favorite dish to go with the red and one favorite dish to go with the white so that people listening to the radio can go to the LCBO, grab a bottle of each and plan their weekend appropriately. Okay. Uh, I rather prefer to for a white wine. I love vinegar. So I would say ceviche, a marinade or even a vinegar rat ratatouille. Uh, with uh, some uh, some uh, great and for the red, I will choose uh, uh, cheese and sausage. You know, even a, a good uh, ramon, uh, Iberian uh, uh, ham, uh, and uh, pizza. I'm hungry. Are you hungry? Yeah. No, I think that's perfect. <laughs> Especially the pairings with the reds. Those dishes are excellent for comfort food in the heart of winter. Well, Maro, thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your trip in Ontario. where thank the Thank you very much. Very different than Lisbon. So when we come back from the break, Maroki, you and I are going to talk a little bit briefly about what we actually thought of the Port of Six Wines now that we've had a chance to speak with Maro, the winemaker. Uh, and we're going to be joined by Danny Longo. We're going to wrap up my dry January. This will be the last time anyone needs to hear about it because I'm sure everyone's sick of it. So stick around past the break. On 640 Toronto, we're tasting together. This is Tasting Together. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. I'm your host, Andre Pru. I'm joined by Maroki Tong. And we left that interview with Moro Azoya without really talking about whether or not you and I liked the wines. I thought we did. I thought you loved the red. That was your favorite. And I liked the white more. I, I like both. I would just say that for my own personal taste, I enjoyed the floral qualities of the white uh, more so than the fruitiness of the red. But that's very much a personal preference. It wasn't just the fruitiness, though. It was also the really great acidity. And I was really ruminating on this wine because I tasted it without food. And after talking tomorrow about pairings, I fired off a recipe to you that I'm planning on throwing together for clams and chorizo, which is a pretty traditional Portuguese recipe that I think would be a great match for the Porta Six. It's true. I think that would actually be exceptional with the red. And I think sometimes it, it shows that, you know, if you pair the right foods with wine, it makes the wine so much better. And I would say, like, with regards to a fruity red, too, maybe it's just reminding me too much of how cold and bleary it is <laughs> in Toronto. And when you taste the fruity red like that, you're like, I uh, it should be summer. Yeah, maybe if I was in Lisbon drinking this red, I would enjoy it so much more. But how dare you make me remember just how cold it is? <laughs> I think that's definitely fair. So I think I've just outed myself to the listeners here that this was uh, one of the ways I broke my dry-ish January. And I'm sure 
people are all going to be um, happy to not hear me talk about this again for another 12 months. I know. Andre, did you know that there's a dry February? <laughs> um, here's the thing is, when I decided to do dry January, I was actually looking for dry February. I know that now because dry February is the one where you can get people to pledge, like similar to November, get people to donate some money to the Canadian Cancer Society. Uh, it turns out I mixed up the months. So I guess there's a dry January and a dry February. Are you going to do dry February? I am not. I am 100% <laughs> not. Um, but that being said, the I guess the nightcap that I want to put, <laughs> pun intended, on the end of my dry January is that I had a hard time finding good non-alcoholic wine, but the potential is there, and I'm glad that we tasted it together. And um, I think if you're planning on doing dry February, stock up on non-alcoholic beer and non-alcoholic spirits to make some cocktails. And I think you will have what you need to get through it and also find some really tasty alternative options that are de-alcoholized. Um, but speaking of beer, because I realized that I went all of dry January without talking about the beer and the spirits that we talked to, but we've gone 12 shows without talking about beer. We've been so focused on wine how the heck have we gone 12 shows without talking about beer? Because I know you and I are both beer drinkers and we're bringing on global news anchor Danny Longo and we're going to talk a little bit about beer for now. Are you excited about beer, Danny? <laughs> I am excited about beer. I do enjoy myself a good pint every once in a while. And there is so much beer out there. Probably just as much beer out there as there is wine to taste in the world. Probably even more in some ways because you can make beer a lot faster. You can yeah, make beer a lot faster. Yeah, especially in Ontario. I remember I uh, used to live in Mississauga and I would get out to the old credit brewing company pretty regularly because I really enjoyed their beer. They only made a couple, but they would tell me like when they started, um, the Ontario Craft Brewing association was only like 30 breweries and now it's like well over 200 oh well over 200 um i know that there's a friend and colleagues uh robin leblanc and jordan st john who wrote a book the craft beer guide to ontario quite a few years ago and by the time they had finished the book more craft breweries had opened it's literally they're sprouting up like weeds like the number of brewers that are breweries that are opening up in the province I know I used to think about wanting to go see as many of them as I could, similarly to, you know, my desire to go to wineries. Mm -hmm. And it was getting to a point where I don't, I, I, I had to kind of make peace that I probably wasn't going to be able to taste every single craft beer in Ontario um, at the speed they were coming to life. I think we're sort of at the place with uh, craft brewing in Ontario that we are with farm to table. I, I think at one point we were calling that type of cooking a trend. And now it's here to stay. And what I think is really fascinating is seeing that we have a craft brewing industry that is reaching a level of maturity. Because I seem to remember like a decade ago, it was like these breweries were popping up everywhere on every street corner in every every community in the province. But it was all fairly homogenous. Like there was a lot of IPAs and different types of, of PAs with different initials in front of them i guess what oh got, yes triple double yeah. uh, all of that and it's just like it was one where it took me a while to hop onto the craft brewing bandwagon in ontario because i'm just i'm not a fan of pas i am right there with you andre i am not a fan of pas I, unless you consider keats an ipa which i guess in name only but it, it's not really very hoppy but yeah i'm a a pilsner and a log I definitely love my lagers you know if, if i go to any brewery it's like that's what i want 
give me your lager, please. I actually remember my, my beer writer friends make jokes about this all the time. Um, I think I made a, a tweet once where I said, you know, I've these days, all I really crave is a Hellas or a lager. Oh, and they're like, you've come out the other side, Maroki. Like, you know, I, I, I will fully admit I want to taste everything. I kind of went through the taste everything beer phrase over the years of craft beer discovery. So I'll drink everything, no matter what I, whether I liked it or not. And then I think it was when I was finishing my MBA in Germany that I learned that Hellas and light beers is not just in fact, quote unquote, like glorified water. Yeah. Um, which is the joke I used to make uh, all the time that, that you can actually get lighter beers that are full of complexity and deliciousness as long as people give it the same care and love that they would when they're doing their more experimental stuff. I think it's the thing about millennials, and I'm pretty sure we're in a room full of millennials. Although, Danny, I think you're bordering on Gen X. I am. I am a Gen Xer. Yes. Or Gen Xer. Okay, but the thing what, is, we're what? still of the generation where our dads had Blue in the house or Molson Canadian, and we still remember one of the greatest beer commercials of all time: the "I Am Canadian" ad with uh, what's his name, Joe or something, giving the impassioned speech about how Canada is better than the states. It was great. One of the best ad cam one of the best beer ad campaigns that I can remember. But the beer I'm sorry, Molson Canadian, but Molson Canadian is is not the greatest lager on the market right now. Right. No. <laughs> what would be some of your greatest loggers on the market, guys? You know, I really just think in terms of light maybe not necessarily loggers, but in terms of light beers, there's something in the water in Hamilton. Uh Collective Arts has the audio visual lager, which is a staple in my house. And then a tiny brewery in downtown Hamilton called Merit. Um, they make something that they call uh, SVP, which is a, a light French table beer. I remember tasting that and immediately my mind was transformed. Um, it, it took me right to, you know, a small cafe in France getting a, a wheat beer and enjoying a light lunch. So those are two beers that uh, I think are worth the trip up the QEW to, uh, to check out if you want to go on a road trip to taste some beer in Hamilton. And if you are going on a road trip, go a little bit further to Dundas because I really like Sean and Ed Brewing Company, which oh, yeah. uh, they have a great lager called Lager Shed. Fantastic. Mm. Um, I also uh, really <laughs> like, we'll stick with Ontario uh, craft breweries for for now, but uh, uh, Bose Lug Tread was uh, one of my go-tos. It's also available in a lot of bars. That's probably why. Uh, and then, yeah, the Bellwoods Hell's is fantastic where you can get it it's uh it's tough to find and my go-to is probably moosehead oh okay ah yeah for me um because i am a kitchener waterloo kid growing up if you go west on the 401 i really love uh twb um together we're bitter brewing i think that's what their acronym stands for um but um as opposed to their name they make a birds and bees blonde ale that is really really tasty and i think as described they're like this is the beard that your grandmother drank but i promise you it's absolutely delicious <laughs> and there's a lot of craft breweries out there now too if you want to do a little bit of tourism in the city i don't know if they actually even sell by the bottle but i went to university of waterloo and we used to spend a lot of late nights at the hoother hotel which is an awesome little venue in uptown waterloo they have multiple rooms multiple restaurants and they have their own beer in there and i actually drank their honey brown so i think we're going to have to go on a bit of an adventure, the three of us, because we all have pretty basic beer tastes. I think a lot of people might think with no love for the uh, the IPAs. And uh, I'm going to see who I can wrestle up to maybe give us uh, some schooling 
on some IPAs and see if we can find one that we like. And um, I know we've given a lot of love to all the communities to the west of Toronto. Uh, I think given our basic taste in beer, I don't think any of us will disagree, disagree that if you're looking for a light beer from Toronto, it's kind of hard to go wrong with the Amsterdam 3-speed. It's Agreed. true. And Godspeed makes some really great stuff too. I mean, there's so many that we could go through. Uh, I also like Mill Street as well. Oh, Mill Street, also, yes. yes. I think this is what I think what we're realizing as we're wrapping up tasting together is that we need to do a lot more segments on beer because clearly we have a lot of breweries we want to shout out and chat about light beer, dark beer, IPA, sour, saison, and what come have you. That's a lot of beer. So stick around <laughs> five o'clock on Saturday. This is tasting together on 640 Toronto.